All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Phillips. I'm again flying solo as Rafal is still on his vacation. Hope he's enjoying it. We miss you, buddy. Can't wait to have you back. He's supposed to be back next week, so you can expect the next time you see me or listen to this epi- listen to this show that I'll be accompanied by the much more talented Rafal Negnowinski here. But for today, it's going to just be me taking you on this wonderful ride here. We're going to be looking at a lot of stuff coming in the second half of Major League Baseball. I mean, we just got done with the All-Star break. We got done with all of the All-Star festivities in the Pacific Northwest up in Seattle, uh, hosting with the Seattle Mariners there. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, my prediction for the home run derby, fell just a little bit short of making that come to fruition, but he did set a record with 41 home runs in the first round, which was amazing. Um, There is a lot of discussion about the format for the home run derby, but that's something we can talk about uh, probably at another time. But for today, we're going to look at the MVP race for the for both the AL and NL, we're going to look at the rookie race, the Cy Young race, uh, kind of get a, maybe a little bit of a glimpse of the what could happen at the MLB trade deadline, as we're not too far away from that. We're also going to look at current MLB standings and then also the wildcard standings. So there's a lot to look forward to as the second half of the Major League Baseball season is just about to start. Again, action begins tomorrow. Um, so for all you baseball fans out there that have been missing the game, it comes back tomorrow. This, um, so looking forward to that. And some of the teams that were ending the first half on a positive note, we'll see if they can pick that up in the second half and teams that were struggling. Well, we'll see what they can do. So let's get into it. First off, we're going to start with the MVP race, because who doesn't like talking about MVPs? And we're going to start over in the AL, because at this point, I would say it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Shohei Otani is going to win the award again for the second time in three years. Um, There's really not somebody else in the AL that you can think of that has a case to be made that can top what Shohei has done this year. Uh, It is interesting to see that as of right now, Aaron Judge is kind of uh, in second place, um, considering he's been hurt a lot. But at the same time, you look at what the Yankees have done with him in and out of the lineup, and there is a vast difference to what the Yankees are. So, you know, that comes back down to it's called most valuable player. And Aaron Judge is clearly the most valuable player to the New York Yankees. They are a completely different team with him in the lineup than they are without him. And there's always that debate about players who are injured and how teams perform, like how much weight do you give that guy versus a guy who's healthy and continuing to produce. Um, so that'll be a fun topic for those. But I mean, really, it's it's Shohei Itani by a long shot. There's, um, there's a lot... There's a lot that he's just done um, in in this first half, and it's incredible, the season that he's having. I mean, it's like the best season in baseball that we've seen from a single player, um, and that is topping what Babe Ruth did back in the early like 1900s and stuff. So, um, it, yeah, it's Shohei all the way in the AL. Uh, you know, for those out there that are going to say it's too early to call it a slam dunk, case closed, um, Sure, you can make a case. There's still, you know, roughly like 70 games left in the second half, and anything can happen. But um, I just don't see anybody making up the ground to legitimately say, "Yeah, this dude deserves the AL MVP over Shohei." So now, when we move over to the NL, that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. Right now, it's gonna be. Ronald Acuna Jr., who is having a fantastic season. Um, I think he's like the only player to have hit 20 plus home runs and stolen 40 bases in the first half of the season. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's a great, like, for a full year stat line there, 20 plus home runs and 40 stolen bases. Like, you take that any day, but he did that in just the first half. And there's, like I said, there's roughly 70 games left to be played. So, I can only imagine what kind of numbers he's going to finish up with um, for them, uh, you know, or for himself and everything like that. But, you know, you look at guys that are also competing against him for that. You've got Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers. You've got Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks. And, of course, Luis Arise of the Marlins. Um, And then Mookie Betts of the Dodgers as well. I do think that 
Betts and Freeman are going to kind of pull some votes away from each other. And I think that Arise and Carol have a much better shot at taking the award away from Acuna. Um, Arise, if he continues to hit close to 400, um, I think that's really going to stick with a lot of Major League Baseball writers who are a little bit older who, you know, um, still like kind of the small ball type of a game compared to this home run or nothing type that we see nowadays. But um, again, still what Arise has been able to do is incredible. I'm personally rooting for him to hit 400. Um, I don't think there's ever been a guy that hit 400 in my lifetime. I know Ted Williams, I think was the last one and I'm definitely not, um, not that, that old or anything like that, but I don't even think there's been players in the past that I can remember that have hit 400. Um, you know, over the course of like what he's done, everything like that. So I'm rooting for him. Um, I don't know if he'll be able to just go win the award based off his batting average. Um, Corbin Carroll, though, is a nut, is a totally different story. I mean, this dude, um, you could say is the whole reason why the Diamondbacks are leading the NL West. I mean, the guy is a rookie. And he is having a fantastic season. Um it's just he he could potentially be um, one of the very few players to win the MVP and Rookie of the Year um, as well. I mean that doesn't happen quite often, but I mean he he definitely could. He's 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 on pace to be the second player joining Mike Trout as a um, player to hit thirty plus home runs and forty stolen bases in their rookie year. So that is is incredible and like i said he's he's really a big reason as to why the diamondbacks are where they are he's just been phenomenal the only thing you have to really worry about him is his shoulders uh right before the all-star break he kind of re-injured his shoulder that really impacted him last season uh and i i thought that there might be some they might just shut him down with the all-star break coming up and give him extra time to rest but he ended up only i think missing a handful of innings um and was back out the next day so um hopefully the time off and not too much wear and tear in the all-star game uh you know can kind of keep that shoulder healthy and he can be ready to roll for the second half because he is a very electric player a lot of fun to watch he's a lefty uh you know he's got power clearly and he's got stolen bases and he hits near the top of that order for the diamondbacks and as i said big reason why they are having the success that they are um which we all know are our fan and beloved creator of the shirts that we have that you know feel free to get your own um lj parker out there is going to be loving the fact that his diamondbacks are in first place and corbin carroll is a big reason as to why And since we're talking about Corbin Carroll, we'll just go right over and talk about the MLB Rookie of the Year odds. And, you know, we'll stick with Carroll right now. He's the on the odds on favorite uh, for all you gamblers out there. According to Caesar Sportsbook, he's minus 300 to win the NL Rookie of the Year. Now, he does have a lot of competition for him. And there is Matt McClain of the Cincinnati Reds, who's plus 4,000. Um, and then, of course, there is the electrifying. And as one broadcaster said in a in the Brewers-Reds um, Brewers game, I believe it was a Reds broadcaster, said Ellie De La Cruz is the most electrifying player in baseball. And I can't argue with them. I mean, for those of you who didn't, hear about it didn't see it haven't read about it um somehow missed it uh one of the last games before the all-star break ellie de la cruz stole three bases in two pitches yeah so he stole second base then he stole third and right after he stole third he was watching the pitcher and the pitcher essentially turned his back and totally forgot or totally ignored or just didn't believe that de la cruz would have the guts to steal home and de la cruz said i'm gonna do it and he did it and yeah that was i mean that was incredible if you have like i said if you haven't seen it find it um it's incredible to watch he's also already hit for the cycle as a rookie too so um FanDuel has him at plus 280 to win the Rookie of the Year, and um, I I would say he's got the best odds to unseat Corbin Carroll. I would be a little disappointed if De La Cruz won the award over Carroll simply because Carroll's been up all year and been productive and been amazing, where De La Cruz got a 
you know, a later call up than Carol. Um, and while De La Cruz has been exciting and been a big reason to why the Reds have turned things around, I just don't think it's necessarily fair to discount what Carol did prior to De La Cruz's call up. And now you have De La Cruz kind of riding the wave of what he's done. Um, so, you know, call me the old man yelling at clouds in this situation. But for me, I'm I'm going with Carroll as a rookie of the year for the NL. Um, unless something drastic happens, um, you know, here in the second half. But for me, it's Carroll winning the NL um, rookie of the year. Over in the AL side, um, it's really not that close necessarily. I mean, you've got... According to FanDuel, Masataka Yoshida at plus 290. BetMGM has Gunnar Henderson at 300. Uh, Henderson has definitely had a bad rookie year, and you, you could potentially make the case that he's maybe due to get sent down and kind of maybe get some confidence and stuff. Um, or maybe he looks like he's a little bit overmatched at the end of But it's not what... Um, Oriole fans were hoping for with Gunner and what they're expecting from him when he got when he made the team this year and everything like that. Um, but again, he is a rookie. Give him time. He's been able to play a very good defense. He's helped them win games, and ultimately, that's really what matters to the team and to the you know um, and the players. Winning the awards are nice, and you know guys want to get those awards. But at the same time, like you want the team success. I'm pretty sure every professional athlete out there would trade any individual war to get a you know a championship ring um just because those are much more difficult to get so um but FanDuel has josh jung at plus 135 as the um as their guy to win the al rookie of the year and i gotta say i think he is um i i can't see another al rookie out there that should take that award away from jung i mean he has been huge for the texas rangers uh, there was a lot of talk with him about how he's got a lot of swing and miss um kind of something like joey gallo has and definitely you know definitely had when he was in in texas um but it hasn't so far it hasn't really impacted jung he's been able to be productive at the plate and he's hit a lot of home runs and i would say he's really helped that infield defense uh, for the rangers i mean now you've got jung at third Corey Seager at short, Marcus Simeon at first, and then Nathaniel Lowe, or Marcus Simeon at second, Nathaniel Lowe at first. And that's not a terrible infield, um, especially on the left-hand side, especially with Simeon at second there. So, you know, he's been a big reason um, why the Rangers have had some had the success that they had this year. Um, their pitching has also been a big boost to them as well. We'll see if the Rangers can keep it up for the second half. Um there's not necessarily anything looking for the Rangers that you could say like, oh, they're they're over their skis or anything like that. Um, they seem like they might be legit, but you know, second half of the season we've seen epic collapses, epic runs, and you know we'll see what we have in store there. Not just in the standings, but also in these these races as well. Finally, we're going to move over to the Cy Young, and this should be a lot of fun because, in my opinion. There's not a clear-cut, you know, front runner for for either side. Like you have a lot of guys that you can make a very strong and very legitimate case for for them to be the respective AL or NL Cy Young Award winner. Right now, according to ESPN's Cy Young predictor, they've got their top five as Zach Leflin at number five, Jordan Romano, number four, Nathan Uvaldi at number three, Felix Bautista at number two, and then Shane McClanahan at number one. The other guys you have in the top ten are Garrett Cole, Dane Dooney, Emmanuel Classe, Carlos Estevez, and Joe Ryan. All those guys, I think, are deserving of it. I think you can make a very strong case for each one of those guys to be the award winner. Uh, it's going to be interesting how the closers specifically stack up against starters because I wouldn't say any of them are having a dominant season. And when I'm talking dominant season, I'm talking back to the Eric Gagne years or to the Mariano Rivera seasons or you know when the guys are just lights out and you know they're locking it down and there's not anything the other team is really going to be able to do unless the you know those closers just happen to make a mistake pitch or somehow 
don't get the ball to move the way they wanted to or anything like that. Like the, I don't believe any of those closers are on a record pace or anything like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they can kind of fare as this second half goes along. Uh, you know, I have a little bit of a bias for Joe Ryan because he's on my fantasy team. So I'm definitely going to be saying he should be the number one guy. But uh, he's got some ground to make up. He's right before the end of the first half. He was kind of oscillating between really good starts and really bad starts. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of a coincidence considering his really good starts were coming against really bad teams. And his really bad starts were coming against really good teams. So we'll see if that's maybe just like a, a fluky thing or something that happened in the season, like bad timing, bad luck. Or maybe he's just getting a little tired. And so this all-star break was enough to like rejuvenate him and kind of refresh him. Um but for me, I'd like to see Joe Ryan of the Twins be the guy to win it. Um, he was a former Tampa Bay prospect that was sent over. I forget what the package was, who the tw- the the Rays got in return. But um, you know, I'd like to see Ryan get it. He's had a great year. But you know, Shane McClanahan has been phenomenal for the Tampa Bay Rays. And considering they've lost a few pitchers before the season started, that were or, or before the season started or early on, that were expected to be big assets for the Tampa Bay Rays and he's been very very good um I can't fault him he's got an 11 and 1 record with a 2.53 ERA um yeah the dude's the dude is legit over in the NL right now again according to ESPN Cy Young predictor their top five are going to be Camilo Duvall at number five Clayton Kershaw number four Spencer Strider at three Zach Gallon at two and Alexis Diaz at number one. So the Reds closer um, is currently the front runner there. And same thing, like I said, with the AL closers, I don't necessarily see these guys sticking around in there. I, I expect them to kind of fall on the wayside and everything like that. Running at the top 10 is Devin Williams, Merrill Kelly, Justin Steele, Bryce Elder, and Charlie Morton. So, um, you know, Duvall, Williams, and Alexis Diaz, I like I said, I expect them to con- slide down the Cy Young winner awards. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that Zach Gallon is number two and not number one. I mean, he's logged 118 in 18.1 innings he's got 125 strikeouts he's 11-3 a 3.04 era um he's been arguably the best nl pitcher this year uh he's having a better season than he did last year and last year was a great season for him so uh you know i wouldn't be surprised if he slides up and becomes the front runner Uh, i do think spencer strider is going to have a case and have a strong case at that as well as the second half continues uh as he's the league i believe the league leader in strikeouts um so yeah that's impressive in its own right and then clayton kershaw um, you know, it was kind of Mr. Reliable for the Dodgers this season. They've their rotation hasn't quite been what's been years past, but he's looking like he's been able to turn back the clock and been highly effective and been the Clayton Kershaw of old. Um, could he add another Cy Young to his, you know, his record books before he retires? It's possible, man. It really is possible. I mean, he's not too far behind the other two guys I'd mentioned. um, And considering if the Dodgers keep winning, um, and if the Dodgers take first place from the Diamondbacks, maybe that's, you know, another feather in his cap to boost him over and have him win, you know, the Cy Young Young for the NL. But um, the Cy Young for both sides is going to be a fantastic race to watch. Keep an eye on those. Um, We kind of talked about it. The AL MVPs pretty much over it's Shohei's award to lose um nl i think acuna is going to do it but he will have stiff competition on that nl side again from corbin carroll and Luisa rise for rookie of the year recap josh young i think he's gonna win it i can't think of another al rookie or even look at the roster see another al rookie that i think will take that award from him nl is going to be a fantastic and very fun race to watch again corbin carroll is kind of the front runner there with ellie de la cruz gaining on him and um we'll see what happens um we'll see if major league baseball has taken this time to maybe figure out some holes in de la cruz's swing um and we'll see if he can continue the success that he was on prior to the all-star break or not but um those are gonna be fun to watch as the season goes on and as we're watching the season goes on we're gonna take a brief minute and just kind of recap the standings that we have right now so in the al east we have the tampa bay rays sitting at first they're two games ahead of the baltimore orioles in second place rafal's new york yankees are eight games back they are seven games over 500 so good for them um 
and they got a lot of work to do, really. AL Central, um, oh, real quick, the AL East is still the only division that has every team over 500. Uh, Boston Red Sox are five games over 500 at 48 and 43, and they are in last place and nine games back. Um, Tampa Bay has kind of slowed their pace a little bit, but um, they're still in first, and they're looking very, very strong. AL Central, it is still arguably the worst division in baseball. Um, the Cleveland Guardians are in first place with a 500 record at 45 and 45. The Minnesota Twins are one game under 500 at 45 and 46, and they sit a half game back in second place. And then, maybe surprisingly, the Detroit Tigers are in third, only five and a half games back. So uh, there's enough time that they could close that gap and win the division. It would be shocking if they did as i see both the guardians and the twins having better lineups better rosters um but that doesn't matter when you go out and you play the games and you score more runs than your opponent does and that's just the way it goes so um yeah we'll see what happens to the al central um they're most likely only going to be getting one team in the playoff um and thank god because i don't really want to see any of these other teams in there because they're not great um Sorry. <laughs> uh, moving moving over to the AL West, the Texas Rangers are in first place at 52 and 39. They have a two-game lead over Houston Astros, who are in second at 50 and 41. Third place are my Seattle Mariners, your you know, most recent host of the All-Star festivities. They're at 45 and 41. They were able to climb over 500. They sit six games back in the al west um they've not been very good so if we're talking about bad baseball and not fun teams to watch you can lump the seattle mares in that group because they have not been enjoyable they've been highly disappointing uh very frustrating to their fan base um and i'll get off my fam fanboy soapbox there and we'll get back to talking about regular baseball here but um the al west like i said the rangers they're looking pretty legit they're 27 18 on the home uh, at home they're 25 and 21 on the road so you know it's not a situation where they're better one side or the other or anything like that they're taking care of business where they need to be doing doing so um and quite honestly like i said you know the mariners are not playing great they've got a really great pitching staff which a lot of clubs would love to have their offense has been very awful not good inconsistent bad um fill in any negative adjective you want and that would describe the cl manners offense meanwhile the host houston astros um they're lacking a lot of star power that we've seen from them in years past and maybe it's showing um their their rotation has been kind of hit hard um you know, Lance McCullers is now out for the year. Framber Valdez is looking great. But um, the rest of the rotation, it's good. It's solid. But I think they're a little bit over their skis in what they've been able to do. Their offense is much better than the Mariners. But even still, like, they've not been what we've seen in the past. So um, the Rangers could really pull away if they can get us off to a strong start in this second half. Um, and, you know, if the Mariners are able to get hot and keep up their – their winning record they were they finished the last 10 games with a seven and three record if they can keep that going and expand on it they could close some ground and you know maybe shockingly win the division but i'm not holding that hope on that i'm sorry um i don't see the mariners making the playoffs or the winning the al west but um it there are a lot of good races out there to be to be what keeping eyes on keeping tabs on seeing what's going on because no division is really really too far gone um, on the AL side. I mean, you, your top three teams in most of the divisions are, uh, you know, really within striking distance. Um, you know, looking at the AL West, the the LA Angels are one game under 500 and they're seven games back. So they could still make a run. And they've got Shohei Otani, who um, is literally doing everything he can to help the ball club win. And maybe he's got to do a little bit more to help the ball club win if they want to make it to the playoffs at any time that he's been on their roster. Moving over to the NL, we're going to start in the NL East. The Atlanta Braves, who are maybe the closest thing to being the team to beat this year they're 60 and 29 they've got the best record in baseball they have an eight and a half game lead in their division the miami marlins are second um, with a 53 and 39 record then you've got the phillies at 48 41 who are 12 games back 
the New York Mets, who I think spent the most baseball, most money in baseball this offseason, are in fourth, uh, 42 and 48 in 18 and a half games back. Um, so I guess it just shows you can't buy everything with money. Um, but we'll see. They still have a lot of talent there. I wouldn't necessarily rule them out. Um, there's just a lot of talent there that they can't continue to be this bad. But it wouldn't. It also wouldn't be surprising considering they haven't really shown anything differently. So uh, Atlanta Braves, again, they're looking like the, maybe the only team to lock up their division early um, with that eight-and-a-half game lead. NL Central by far the craziest division in baseball we've seen this season um first we had the pittsburgh pirates being in first place then we had the milwaukee brewers and now we've got the cincinnati reds in first place um all the while the cardinals have been the worst team in the nl central and they're still the worst team they're 11 and a half games back in their division they are 38 and 52 on the year meanwhile like i said the reds are in first with a 15 41 record they have a one game lead over milwaukee at who is 49 and 42 the chicago cubs kind of been middle of the pack almost all season they're at 42 and 47 on the year they're seven games back in the nl central um they they could make a a run and, and get back in and you know be the division winner be the division leader um unfortunately we've seen in the past with the brewers they tend to fall um a little bit in the second half so the fact that they're only seven games over 500 and one game back of the reds um they're still in it but we we've seen the brewers in the past kind of fade in the second half and if that happens again uh, that could be you know, I mean, that would be tumultuous for them and catastrophic, but, um, you know, it would also kind of fit this NL Central being the craziest division in baseball. Um, we'll see what happens. There's a lot to go on in this division. I think it's the most fun division to watch if, you, if you're not a fan of any, te- any team in that league just because of the craziness that is happening in the NL Central. Meanwhile, out west, the NL West, the Dodgers and Diamondbacks are tied atop first place. The Dodgers are 51 and 38 on the year. Meanwhile, the Diamondbacks are 52 and 39 on the year. And then sitting in third place is your San Francisco Giants, two and a half games back with a 49 and 41 record. Uh, fourth place is your San Diego Padres, who are four games under 500 with a 43 and 47 record. Um, again, one of the teams that spent a lot of money this offseason. And just a reminder that just because you spent a lot of money in the offseason and you arguably won the offseason doesn't mean you're going to win the regular season. And um, that's just another. Another example of this, uh, again, the Padres have a lot of talent there. I can't see them continuing to be as bad as they are, but again, they haven't shown us anything otherwise, so what's really to make us think differently other than the fact that we see the talent they have there, and that talent has been really good in the past. Um, Now, with that being said, Manny Machado, who's been a huge disappointment in most of the first half, really started to come on in this last month, the month of June, and heading into the All-Star break. If he can continue this streak that he's on, this this hot streak that he's on, that could be a big boost to the Padres offense and be a big reason why they make a run there. Um... Dodgers, Diamondbacks, it's going to be fun to watch those two teams. Obviously, the Dodgers have been there, done that a lot. The Diamondbacks, not so much recently. <clears throat> but it's going to be a fun NL West race to watch. Um, and like I said, with all this, the Braves are the only team really that's out there that I can say with real certainty that they're going to win their division and um it's not even close. Uh, it really, it really isn't. But now the fun part, if you are not a division leader, is going to be the wild card standings. This year we've got three teams in, in the wild card hunt. Um, just recapping your division leaders for the AL, you've got Tampa Bay from the East, Cleveland from the Central, and Texas from the West. All three of those guys are your division leaders there, and they're a pretty strong team. Cleveland maybe not so much, but they are winning baseball games and that's really all that matters um they are the only division team division leader uh i take that back they're one of two division leaders that have a negative run differential um cleveland is at minus seven in the run differential cincinnati is the other division leader they're minus nine 
Um, so it's usually it's a bit interesting to see that because your division leaders typically are teams that are great pitching, great offense, and these two teams are kind of different. Now, granted, run differential is very much skewed by scores, so it's not a stat that you can totally take for certain because you could win a lot of close one-run games, but in some games you just get blown out or shut out, and that skews your run differential. Um, so like I said, not a lot to kind of hang your hat on there. But when we look at the wild card race for the AL, it's 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 a fun one. It's going to be a lot of just a lot to watch there. Baltimore is currently the number one wild card team. They're five games up on Houston and Toronto who round out the other two wild card spots. Um, they're both tied same record 50 and 41. And then right after that, only one game back is the New York Yankees. So you could conceivably have the entire entire wild card teams be represented by the AL East teams. <coughs> it's it's it would not be too shocking to see that, um, considering how strong the AL East has been all season long. Um, and again, when Judge comes back. He's going to make that Yankees team a completely different ball club. Their offense will go into another level. Uh, if their pitching can continue to be as good as it was in the first half, um, and you add in that offense, yeah, they're going to be a real tough team to beat. Boston, again, the worst team in the AL East, is only two games back of that third wildcard spot. They are 48-43 and 43 on the year. So, again, they could make it in as well. You know, it would take just a nice hot streak to get in. And surprisingly, Boston could, you know, could be that hot streak away from being in the wild card race. Um, finally, we're going to talk about the Seattle Mariners. They're only four games back in the AL wild card. Um, they can be in it as well. Same with the Angels and the Twins are also five games. Both of them are five games back. So that's really kind of your top guys. After that, you get to Detroit, who's 10 back in um they got a, they've got a better shot at winning their division than they do get in the wild card. And really with the, the AL Central, it's division or bust. If you're not winning the division, you're not getting in the playoffs. It's just that that simple, um, really. Uh, the Twins, five games back, not a lot. They could overcome it in the second half. But again, they've just been not great to see all season long. Um, and really every team in the AL Central has not been great all season long. So that's part of the reason why I say for the AL Central it is division or bust. But, you know, looking at some other teams like the Angels, the Mariners, the Red Sox, the Yankees, they've all shown some glimpses, some small flashes that they can be a team that can put it together and do it at the right time. All the teams that I mentioned that are legitimately, you know, going down to Minnesota, they all have a plus um, run differential again it doesn't mean necessarily a lot because it's all about the runs you score in their game in your games versus you know how many you don't score so um, it's just typically you see teams that have positive run differentials are winning teams and all these teams in here for the most part are 500 or better your angels and your twins are both a game under 500 so they're right there um but yeah, the AL wildcard race, it's going to be interesting to, to watch. I'm slightly rooting for all the wildcard teams to be from the AL East. I think that would be pretty cool to see. I don't really care if it's Boston or New York who makes it in there. Um, but it, it would be really cool to see um, the AL wildcard race come down to basically just the AL East division standings because it's they've been arguably the best division in baseball. NL division leaders, again, are your Atlanta Braves, your of the East, your LA Dodgers of the West, and your Cincinnati Reds of the Central. Like I said, the Reds are the only division, NL division leader who's got a negative run, run differential. For your wildcard teams, you've got in the top spot, the Miami Marlins, who are three games up. They have a minus five run differential. And then Arizona Diamondbacks are in second place in the wildcard standings at plus two and a half games followed by your San Francisco Giants who are currently in the third wild card slot. Um, so again, looking at the NL 
the NL wildcard race. You could have the NL West representing most of the teams in, in the playoffs, um, which would be cool. It wouldn't necessarily be as cool as the AL East doing it just because the AL East would have four teams in. Um, so basically their, their entire division in um where the nl west would have three out of their five but still be fun to see all the same um right outside and right behind san francisco giants are the philadelphia phillies they're half game back um of them and there's a lot of talk um coming out of this all-star break and heading into the second half of the season about how the phillies have you know, finished up the first half of the year strong. They their last ten games, they're six and four. Their offense started clicking. Their pitching was, you know, being better. Uh, and there is the expectation that the Phillies are going to be buyers at the trade deadline and make some adjustments, make some moves to bolster their roster and help them get back into the playoffs um, and make another run at a World Series. If that's to be true and to be to believe, then yeah, that half game is probably going to be. Um, overcome quickly and it, it wouldn't be shocking to see the the giants and the phillies kind of fighting for that last spot and looking every day and one of them's in the other one's out and then it flips the next day um so it'll be fun right behind philly also a half game back is the milwaukee brewers uh, again we talked about with the nl central being the craziest division the brewers um they are one of a few team you know they they've got a minus 13 run differential they have arguably like of the teams that are legitimately in the the wild card race um the worst run differential and again it doesn't necessarily mean anything it is just an interesting stat to look at and to see considering teams that are successful teams that win are teams that have a positive run differential and the Milwaukee Brewers do not so if they're going to get in they're really going to need to right that ship and start scoring more runs scoring a lot of them um, it'll also be interesting to see as the trade deadline gets closer what they decide to do they've got some intriguing players on their roster uh, Corbin Burns that could be a big addition to other teams going for playoff pushes um, and considering Corbin Burns has not um signed any sort of any sort of extension and has no intention of doing so um could the brewers decide if things aren't going their way they decide you know what we're gonna trade him and get something for him um i know when we had jack on i think he was saying that's probably not gonna be the case but um we'll see you know it's been a while since we had him on here and it's been a you know been some time since the brewers were kind of legitimately winning their division and looking at the playoffs and everything like that so we'll see what happens um things can get tra crazy come trade deadline gms make some good moves GM makes some ridiculous moves looking at you aj preller when you decided to move andres munoz tie france um to the Seattle for a backup catcher in austin nola and that hasn't really worked out for the padres but for the Mariners, we very much are appreciative and thankful for that deal but um right behind the milwaukee brewers uh is the san diego padres they're six games back after that is the cubs at six and a half the mets seven games back and then your pittsburgh pirates at only eight games back uh, now, it is interesting with the Pirates, as it's been reported, the Pirates are expected to be sellers at the trade deadline, which, again, their team that started off the year hot were winning the NL Central. They're eight games back of the third wildcard spot. Eight games isn't necessarily a lot, considering there's so much baseball left to be played. Again, we're looking at roughly 70 games. They could do it, but they're going to have to really show something here in the next two weeks because the trade deadline is August 1st. So we're roughly, what is it, uh, 18 days away from the MLB trade deadline. And so if the Pirates are, you know, the players specifically, if they're going to show their management that, hey, we can win, give us a little bit of help, give us a little bit of boost, give us some more pitching, a little bit more offense too, um, we can get it done. They're really going to have to show something coming out of this this second coming into the second half here and they're going to, have to do it quickly because they don't have a lot of time if they continue to do what they've been doing as how they ended the first half of the season going three and seven over the last 10 games then yeah you can fully expect the pirates to be sellers now the question is who is on the market for them there's been some rumblings about maybe andrew mccutcheon um i don't think that's necessarily the greatest idea i understand it is a business and andrew mccutcheon uh could bring them a nice little return 
But it was a big deal that he came back this offseason. And he's kind of the guy, the, the face of the franchise for the last, like, 20 years um, for the Pirates, or at least the last, like, 10. Uh, and you got him back, and now you're going to trade him. That's going to be really um, fun. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, I don't want to use the word interesting because I've been using it a lot. But it really is something to keep an eye on because that fan base is sick and tired of losing. They're sick and tired of not making aggressive pushes to actually go and make a contender in there. And now you have like their their prodigal son that you got him back. And it was a big boost to the, the season. And you're going to go ahead and trade him away. Ooh. That that will uh, that could be that could be something to keep an eye on in, in Pittsburgh as well. Um, you know we're going to kind of shift over to looking at the trade deadline. Uh, like I said, it is August first, roughly 18 days away. And when we're looking at potential teams that are going to be buyers and sellers, obviously you know your division leaders are the Braves are expected to be buyers at the deadline. But the real question is, considering they're really strong, they've got a really good offense, they've got a really good starting rotation when healthy, and honestly, Kyle Wright and Max Fried are both expected to come back and be helpful for them in this second half. You add them into that rotation, that makes it just that much stronger. So the Braves don't necessarily need to go out and trade for starting pitching because they've got it on the rush already. They just got to get healthy and get them back. Then you look at their bullpen, and their bullpen is really strong. I mean, you've got a bunch of like former closers in that bullpen um, that they could turn to and you know can get that mindset of, okay, game's on the line, get that out. So uh, there is a bit of bad news, though. One of their big-time relievers, Nick Anderson, has just been put on the 60-day um, IL. So he's not going to be back till September. That could be that could be something to keep an eye on because he's had a strong season. Um, and he's a very strong bullpen guy. Gets a lot of strikeouts uh, in his time when he comes in there. But, um, you know, we'll see. My guess is if the Braves are going to make some moves, it's going to be some smaller ones. Um, you know, something maybe just a small bullpen addition here or there. Maybe they look to upgrade shortstop uh, if they feel like what Orlando RC has done in the first half is a little bit of a fluke. On the flip side, though, um, they've got Vaughn Grissom in their minor leagues, you know, that they could call up and he could provide that offensive jolt from the shortstop position. Now, his defense may be a little suspect and could be problematic, but. Uh, you know, we'll see. The Braves don't necessarily be too aggressive when it comes to the trade line because they're in a really good spot. Um, now, you look at teams like Miami, they could go out and they could really need to make some moves in order to, if they want to gain some ground, especially when we're talking about, um, you know, wild card. Granted, they're the first wild card team and got a three game lead, but you look at some of the teams that are behind them, like the Card, like the uh, Diamondbacks, like the Giants, like the Phillies, like the Brewers, and the Padres. Those clubs have some either more star power or they've got big bankroll and they can go out and make some moves. So, uh, you know, if the Marlins are going to keep this this winning up, they're, they're going to have to make some moves as well. But, uh, you know, the thing is, when you're looking at teams that are going to be sellers, they don't have a lot necessarily to offer, at least not something that is going to be a big boost to a contending team. I mean, just looking at the bottom three NL teams, you've got the St. Louis Cardinals, the Washington Nationals, and the Colorado Rockies. I don't know anybody in Washington that, you know, we're hearing a lot of talk about, oh, this guy's going to be moved, and if he gets moved, these are the teams that he could move to, and if he goes there, he could really provide a big boost for them. Um, now, when we're talking about the Cardinals, obviously Nolan Arenado's name has kind of come up. Paul Goldschmidt's name has also kind of come up. Those are two guys that are that type of player, but outside of them, who who else, really? And the thing is, like, if you move those guys, uh, do, do you have somebody of their caliber waiting for them? Now, third base, I think they do. They could put Nolan Gorman back at third, or they could just give the position full-time to Jordan Walker. Both those guys have had pretty good first half so third base i think you'd kind of be okay first base is a little bit different um you know i know they had a kid that kind of got some time here and there in the first half uh, we'll see how they feel about it moving forward but you know i think if you're talking about which player between arnado and goldschmidt is more replaceable i would lean a little more towards arnado being that um just because of the young depth that we've seen young depth that they have there that's 
proven to be able to hit at the major league level. Maybe they're not Nolan Arenado in the glove, um, you know, on the defensive side, but uh, you know what they do offensively. I don't think will be a big drop off, and I don't think too many fans would be too disappointed in a little bit of a you know uh, a lesser defensive third baseman moving from Arenado to one of those guys. But um, Colorado, you've got Chris Bryant, you've got Charlie Blackman, and I mean, does Colorado really want to go move Chris Bryant after they just kind of gave him a bunch of money to have him come? to their team and kind of be a guy they want to build around charlie blackman at this point he's kind of a fourth outfielder or dh guy how much is he going to be able to get you in return uh, and you know let's say he goes to a team like seattle who could use a little bit of offensive help can he really be that like missing piece that gets that offense more consistent and rolling maybe i don't know i'm not really buying it so you know it's it's things like that and then you know the bottom teams in the al you've got the kansas city royals you've got the oakland a's there's nobody really there that you want on those rosters um at least those teams are going to be willing to trade like bobby witt would be a hot commodity but i don't see the royals giving up on him now you look at a team like the chicago white Sox, who's largely has been rumored to be sellers at the deadline uh it's talking about i believe buster only tweeted out today that lucas giolito is rumored to be a top priority of the la dodgers um that white Sox rotation is very strong they do have a lot of arms there that could make big impacts for for contending teams but again <clears throat> the white Sox are kind of the only team really that can offer that kind of firepower because they're they may be looking to kind of reset uh, their their sites reset their their system and everything like that so, you know, you're looking at potentially just the White Sox and the Cardinals as kind of being the only two teams that can really offer some sort of punch to contending teams. You have other teams that are out there that could be in the case for making a wild card run if they get hot, but they could also be in the case for kind of shutting it down and looking to the future. We're talking about your New York Mets, your Chicago Cubs, your San Diego Padres, um again your milwaukee brewers maybe so we'll see what happens here but then also teams like the seattle mariners minnesota twins boston new york yankees um but some of those teams like the the players that you can offer to the contending teams to provide that punch are guys that those teams are kind of built around or that they want to be a part of their like core group that they're going to be building a contender around so a guy, for example, like Luis Castillo, who's an all-star. The Mariners traded a big portion of their farm system to get him. He'd be a hot commodity for any team that's out there that would be wanting to get him. I just don't see the Seattle Mariners wanting to trade him because they spent so much to get him, and they value him. They also signed him to an extension, too, by the way. Um, so I don't see them wanting to move a guy like Castillo um, at this deadline. And he, Like I said, he would be a big-time player, but... He's not going to be moved. Somebody like Robbie Ray, if he wasn't hurt, yeah, maybe, considering we've seen what we've seen with Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. But again, we wouldn't see those guys if Ray wasn't hurt, too. So it it's going to be interesting, this trade deadline, to see what happens. Because teams are going to need to come out um, of this second half. <coughs> <coughs> Um, but it's really going to be interesting to see what the teams do uh, coming out of this all-star break. Because teams that are kind of close to making a wild card spot or winning the division, they've really got to get off to a hot start. Because if they don't, the organization could look to be sellers at the deadline. So uh, 
this third wildcard team, we'll see how much of it impacts. Maybe it's just kind of a, a fluky season where you have kind of a lot of mediocrity. You don't have a lot of really strong teams, a lot of dominant teams. Like there's not these are the winners, these are the losers kind of thing. Like you have eh, this guy's a winner and this guy's a loser, but there's not a lot separating the two of them here. Um, so maybe it's just a weird year, but this trade deadline, I, I kind of don't think it's going to be too, too active or too, too crazy. Just because, like I said, the teams that are bad, that we're going to be clear sellers, they don't necessarily have a lot to offer the teams that are the winners and going to be going for it. So now in saying that, does a team like Minnesota get together with, uh, Milwaukee and they kind of swap some players and kind of make both teams better yeah uh, you know I can see that happening too but it's just I don't know I you know going to mindset of the sellers are going to sell and the buyers are going to buy I don't think you're going to see a lot of teams who are quote buyers or contenders trading with other buyers and contenders because they're both wanting the same thing so this trade deadline could be a very quiet one, could be a very boring one, which would kind of be unfortunate considering the the success and the positive that we've seen coming from the MLB this year with the wider, the bigger bases, the amount of times pitchers can throw over to those bases, and then also, you know, the pitch clock in there as well too. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, we've got a lot going on in this second half again. Um, Share with us your thoughts, your comments. You know, follow us on Twitter. Follow us everywhere you can follow the show. Really, you know, we're talking about YouTube. We're talking about um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of those places. Um, tell your friends about us. Share us with them. You know, talk to people about us. Interact with us. Interact with Rafal. Interact with myself uh, on Twitter. You can find me at c underscore phillips underscore thirteen. Um, I can't think of Rafal's Twitter handle. I'm sorry, Rafal. I got to get better at that. But um, find us on Twitter. Chat with us. We love to talk baseball. We love to talk to you about really anything sports related, um, you know, for that matter. But tell your friends. Share us with everybody. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Give us comments. We will see you guys all next week. Again, like I said, Rafal is out. Um, but he will be back next week. So it will be Rafal and myself doing the show for the first time. And it will be... Uh, just a few days into the second half. So we'll see what we've, you know, what we can um, uncover and what we can see from these teams that are really going to be needing and making a push for this upcoming season. But again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for following. Until next time.